Welcome to the Southbridge Church Podcast, where our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We're thrilled that you are here, and it's our hope that this message will lead you to find and follow Jesus. Wow, I am so blessed for our media and worship team. Can we just thank them? They don't often get thanked, and I know they do it all for God. They really do. But the amount of effort and energy they put in every week is just incredible to see where God is bringing us. Take your Bible if you have one. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. I want to read just a few verses beginning in verse number 5. The Apostle Paul is closing a letter to the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth had had all kinds of problems. And yet he's writing to them and he kind of closes it out. And we're going to begin looking at verse number five. The word of God says this, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. For I'm passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you. That you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. Verse number nine. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Jane and I bought our first house in March 2012. And it was built originally in 1979. And just about everything was original on that house. And so when we moved in, immediately we were thinking, okay, those are original carpets. That's uh, original paint, you know. I mean, it was, it was different, you know, 1979 to when we bought it. And so I wanted to move in. And at the time, we didn't have a lot of extra funds. I mean, we barely were able to purchase the house at the down of the market. And so to even have any money to renovate or remodel was next to nothing. We had a few hundred dollars. That's about what we had. It was enough to rip out the carpets. And I textured the, uh, the, the house myself, which, Jim, I should have called you because I had to retexture it later because after I painted it, I didn't let the texture fully dry. So you know what happens to texture and pain if you don't let the two dry? It's ugly and it falls down. So, you know, just, it was just frustrating. Back then, YouTube was not quite as popular with the how-to videos. So I didn't know anything. I was just making it up as I went along. And they had the old hollow core flat panel doors. Remember those? You know, I mean, pretty easy to, to, to break them. Pretty hollow. And uh, we wanted to replace them. And I didn't have any money to replace the doors. But our church was doing a drama, a play, and I needed a door in the play. So I had this brilliant idea. I'll take one of the doors out of my house, and then I'll use it in the play. The play will reimburse me for my door, and at least I'll have one new door. All right, you like my train of thought here? It's ridiculous. It's stupid. The worst part is I didn't tell Jane about my amazing plan at all. So she comes home, and this is the only picture I could find of it, but let's put up a picture. I put up a picture up here, you can see, of uh, the door that's missing. It's a closet door. Yes, isn't Austin cute? Man, he's just so cute. Then they turn into teenagers. What's up with that, right? They're cute, and then they hit teenagers, and they're just not. So there's a closet door that was missing. 
That closet door was, thank you for showing the slide. Uh, that closet door was missing from 2012, not to 2013, not 14, when we started the church, had everybody in the church come over to our house, doing life groups. Everybody walk in, they'd turn, and there's a closet with no door. And they'd be like, oh, this is new. Yeah, it's new. It's uh, feng shui or whatever, you know, just something, I don't know. I didn't have money for a door. And then years went by. You say, when did you finally get a door put on there? 2017. Jane went five years without a closet door to put on there. You say, when did she figure out that you had borrowed the closet door? When she showed up to the drama and she looked and said, there's a nice door on the stage. It kind of reminds me of the door I had in my living room. That's when she finally figured it out. You say, what do doors have to do with anything? You see, doors represent entry points to something new and something next. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Doors represent entry points to something new and something next. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's letting them know, I have a desire to come and see you. I have a desire to stay with you. Because the church at Corinth was also a church that the apostle Paul had planted. And they were going through all kinds of upheaval. So in his mind, he needed to go there to kind of straighten some things out. Except for the fact that he just couldn't get time away because he's at this church in Ephesus. And he tells the church at Corinth why he can't come right away. In verse number 9, he says, For a great and effective door has been opened to me. The Apostle Paul is saying, there's a door open here. I've been laboring here. And we find out that Paul had been in Ephesus for three years ministering. And he sees that there's this open door. Understand, open doors represent entry points to something new and something next. When you and I are about to go into a new season, there's a door we've got to cross into. Many people will tell me, I'm in a season of transition. That's idiotic because transition doesn't take a season. By its very definition, transition is from one season to the next. It should be momentary. It should be quick. Some of us are like, well, it just takes me a while to transition. No, no, no. That is you slow rolling it. God has something new and next for you, and he wants you to step through that door. The Apostle Paul, he realized that there's this door, but there's something that he allows us to see about this door. He gives us details. He says, it's a great door. And then he says, it's an effective door. What we are doing in San Jose is about looking for the door that we can step into. And there is a great door. I think we can all agree. There is a great door where the gospel needs to go into San Jose. And we need to step through that door, through what God wants us to do. But yet many of us are holding back. I'm going to give you all three points all together. And then I'm going to try to teach this passage for a little bit. If you're taking notes, you're going to get everything right at once. First of all, verse number nine tells us that the door is open. This door is open. I love open doors. I love open doors. But the open door is a metaphor for something bigger. The door is all about an opportunity. That's point number two. Point number one, the door is open. The door is an opportunity, and we love opportunities. But the end of verse number nine says there's many adversaries. So write this third point, and then we're going to dig into this for a while. The door is occupied. The door is occupied. And that's what he says in verse number nine. But there are many 
adversaries. Let me pray and let's dive into this this morning. Grace, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this scripture. I pray that you would help us to unpack its truths. For those that are here, that they have a door in front of them, but they're hesitant to step through it. I pray that they would, through this message, have courage to step through it. I pray that you would allow us to see the doors that you put in front of us. And I pray that we would recognize them. I pray that we would not miss them. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You see, the Apostle Paul tells us that the door is open. I love the fact that the Apostle Paul, he is wanting to stay where the door is open. He didn't want to go somewhere where the door is closed. But then I started to peel back and do a little bit of studying about this open door. We don't have time, but if you were to turn to the book of Acts chapter number 19, the Apostle Paul writes in detail about everything that transpired in Ephesus. I'll turn there because the scripture gives us some key details. Because Paul arrives in chapter 19, he meets 12 people who were baptized by John the Baptist, and then he asked them, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? And they said, we've never received it. The apostle Paul lays hands on them. They receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. And then he goes on to teach in the synagogue. In the synagogue, there is some those that they stand up and they try to thwart what the apostle Paul is doing. They even malign him. They slander him. So the apostle Paul starts what we realize is one of the first, if you want to use this word Bible colleges in the New Testament. He goes to the house of Tyrannus and there he begins to teach and minister and to train up these 12 disciples. Now they weren't disciples of Jesus. These are the ones that he reached because we have a ministry that is called to make disciples everywhere. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples. That's what we as a body are called to do. We're called to it here in San Jose. So the Apostle Paul starts doing that. And then I love this. The Bible begins to tell us that after two years, the Jews and the Greeks that lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. And here's the kind of miracles God did. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched Paul were taken to the sick and their illness was cured and evil spirits left them. There was a day probably in the 60s and 70s where you had the big TV preachers where the TV preachers would say, for a small seed offering of $10,000, I will sneeze on this handkerchief. I'll put it in an omelet. Envelope. I will send you this sneezed on handkerchief, rub that on whatever ails you, and you're going to be healed, healed, cured. I'm being facetious, but it's about that ridiculous what was happening. People were trying to copy what God did through Paul. Because the fact is, Paul literally had this anointing on him that people were being healed in a great and mighty way. Verse 13 says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. One day, I love this, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Then the men who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, and it gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together, burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. 
In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Do you see there was an open door? It's a great door. This is at Ephesus. Ephesus was a city. It was a great city in Asia Minor. One of the uh, seven wonders of the world. Asia Minor is current day Turkey. It estimated a population between 250,000 to 300,000. It was a a well-known city. It was a city that had great influence. So the Apostle Paul is saying, there's a door here. There's a door that needs the gospel because they had one of the seven wonders of the world was a temple built to uh, the, the goddess Diana who they would worship, and it was vile. It was sickening how they would worship the, the, the goddess Diana. And so here the apostle Paul is there ministering, but he's not alone. There's two famous biblical characters by the name of Priscilla and Aquila who also were there. But not just Priscilla and Aquila. You also had another great preacher by the name of Apollos. Apollos was there. This is like the dream team being assembled in Ephesus. And they're seeing a great work. They estimated that the church ran about 5,000 members in this day. Timothy ended up being the pastor for a time of this church. After Timothy, John the Revelator, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, before he gets exiled to Patmos, he was also there. There is a movement happening in Ephesus. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, hey guys, I want to go there. But man, God is moving. There's an open door. And you and I, God wants to do some similar things here in San Jose. There's an open door here. There's a need. There's a great need for the gospel. Where only 3% of the population attend any religious gathering. That's not church. Any religious gathering. We live in an area where most people identified as non-religious or atheist, maybe spiritual, but they don't go to any religious gathering. So there's an open door in the Bay Area. And you and I have to be able to say, Lord, we're ready to walk through this. But many times you and I, we would look at this verse and we would say, that's great. There's a great door. It's an effectual door. Oh, but there's adversaries. There's adversaries. So we need to see that, first of all, this is an open door. Secondly, we see that this door is an opportunity. He says it's great and effective. The Apostle Paul starts out chapter 16 by talking about an offering that they want to bring. And he starts teaching them about stewardship. But then he moves on the stewardship of finances, and he wants to talk to them about the stewardship of opportunity. And you and I may be really good with stewarding our finances and really poor with stewarding an opportunity. You see, the Apostle Paul realized, hey, this door is open. I don't know how for how long. So I'm going to seize this opportunity in the season that the opportunity is available. You and I have to step back and say, God, are there opportunities right here, right now that you want me to seize? I don't want to miss out on this opportunity. You see, the door represented an opportunity. The Apostle Paul even wrote in Ephesians chapter number 5, a great verse, verse 15. He said, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You and I can watch the six o'clock news. I don't even know if there is such a thing. Or you can get your news from your app and you can see that there is unprecedented circumstances happening around the world. 
And when the Apostle Paul is saying the days are evil, he's not just saying crime is everywhere. What he is talking about is he's talking about that these times are desperate times. You and I live in desperate times. And in desperate times, we need to say, God, is there an opportunity here that you want me to capitalize on? And then he says, be careful. The Latin word means looking around. Looking around is what it means. You and I are not looking for the opportunities around us. You and I, when we go to a fast food restaurant or we go to our coffee shop, are you aware of the people around you or are you just there focused on getting your coffee? Are you focused on the mood and the temperament of the barista? Maybe he or she is having a terrible day and you being a child of God can bring light and life to that person's life and forever change the course of their destiny because you say, I'm praying for you. I'm going to tip you. I want to invite you to my church. Is there anything I can do for you? And they will stop, drop your coffee because somebody has been kind enough and recognizing them. Except for the fact that you and I, we're not looking around like the Apostle Paul is telling us. There are opportunities everywhere. Now, you and I live in the Silicon Valley. Come on. We are trained to spot opportunities. There are some of the most brilliant businessmen and women here. You're an entrepreneur. You know how to hustle. You know how to grind. You know how to get things done. You know how to turn 10 bucks into 100 bucks, 100 bucks into 1,000 bucks, 1,000 bucks into 100,000, 100,000 into a million, a million into a billion. You just know how to do it because you know how to see the opportunities. But my friend, do you know how to see the opportunities of one lost soul without Christ? You see, the Apostle Paul is saying, the reason I'm staying in Ephesus is because there is an opportunity here. There's a need. And he was saying, you've got to notice it. You and I get often stuck in requesting for opportunities, don't we? Oh, God, just give me that job. Lord, just let somebody swipe left or right on my dating app. I don't know if that's a good or a bad one. I don't know. I may have gotten myself in trouble. <laughs> oh, Lord, please, please let that interview go well. Oh, Lord, I pray they accept my offer. Oh, come on, God, just let this thing happen and this thing and this thing and life will be great. Let me get accepted into that college. Let me get accepted into that school. Oh, I just, oh, come on, God. And we're always requesting opportunities. The Apostle Paul is not requesting opportunities. He's recognizing them. God has opportunities everywhere. And you and I have to say, okay, God, what's the opportunity here? What if every place you went, you said, okay, what do you, what do you want to do here, God? Yeah. The Apostle Paul said, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah. Why does Jesus need hands and feet if we're never going to use them for his kingdom? So every place I go, I am bringing in the kingdom of God to say, God, what can these hands do to build your kingdom? Where can these feet go to take the gospel? Because how beautiful are the feet of them who spread the gospel, Lord. So I want to be about doing that. So I need to be recognizing these opportunities. And the Apostle Paul, he, that was the, the theme of his ministry. You can go to Acts 14, verse 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith. 2 Corinthians 2.12, now when I went to trust to preach the gospel to Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Colossians 4.3, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. He's all about these open doors. What's the Apostle Paul doing? He's trained his eyes to look for the opportunity. 
Church, we got to train our eyes to be looking for the opportunity. Not just to make the Benjamins. Not just to make money. Not just to get the cars, get the deals, get the houses, get the stocks, get the crypto. God wants you and I to be saying, hey, that single mom needs help. Hey, that single dad needs help. Hey, that teenager needs help. Hey, that person needs somebody to pray with them. Hey, that person needs an invitation to church. That person needs lunch. That person needs a hug. That person needs a text message. That person needs a word of encouragement. Hey, that person needs me to mow their lawn. Hey, that person needs me to babysit for them. Hey, that person, where'd my claps go? Oh, it got real, huh? Oh, it got real. It got real when you and I have to get off our blessed assurance, huh? I want to pray for you. I want to send you a little text message. But watch your little snot no kids. No, thank you. That's too much. That opportunity, ah, that, that takes a whole nother commitment. You say, how do I know that? Because none of you want to work in rich kids. Oh, hold up. Oh, oh, oh did it get real? Would you come to church today? You come to church, he's going to sit back here a little messenger from the preacher, man. Come on, man. I'm fired up, and I'm wearing a turtleneck and a jacket, and it's hot, okay? So maybe I'm a little bit overdressed, and the AC is, like, turned off, but that's going to be okay. We're going to get through it. But understand this. You and I have to be willing to say, does this opportunity make me uncomfortable? Then guess what? Maybe it's the right opportunity. Maybe it's the right opportunity. The Apostle Paul is leading us somewhere. He's letting us know that nothing is more expensive than a missed opportunity. I love what Pastor Mark Batterson says. He says, you may not be responsible, but you are responsible. That child may not be your child, but can you do something to speak a word of kindness to them? That trash in the parking lot is not your trash, but can you pick it up and put it away? That person who didn't have enough money to pay for groceries, that's not your problem. But can you do something about it? I love it when the church of God just says, hey, I can actually do something here. I can't solve every problem, but I could solve that problem. And there we go. I'll do what I can with what I have while the time God gives me because this is the opportunity. God puts you in this place like Esther for such a time as this. He could have picked another city, another state, another time, another generation, but he picked you for this hour. He said, I need that woman. I need that man. I need this person in San Jose, California, because I got a work that only they can do. God has customized this moment for you. But yet we often fall prey to the trap that Aristotle warned us of. To avoid criticism, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. I'm afraid that many a church, that's the real motto. Say nothing. Do nothing. Be nothing. What's this? Leading people to find and follow Jesus. If I'm the only one doing it, it's not really a mission. If you're the only one doing it, it's not really caught on. Understand that who's your one is about each of us saying, I can go find somebody. I can go invite somebody. I can tell somebody about Jesus. 
This week on Thursday, God bless Miss Sonia. She and I were ministering to every single homeless person on Albany Expressway and Capitol. They just kept coming by, and we just kept praying with them, kept giving them stuff, kept helping them. It was one after another, right, Miss Sonia? We were just so busy, and we were just pulling our hair out like, man, is the devil testing us today? We emptied more trash, more shopping carts, more stuff, but we looked for the opportunity that Jesus had given us. If they're coming to us, let's serve. And God is bringing the people to you. Let's serve them. My fear is for some of you, you say, I don't get any opportunities. God does not waste anything. Someone once asked, I believe the president was George Washington. And he and his men were about to cross the river, and he was a newly elected president. And there was a man walking by the side of the street that needed to cross the same stream. And he looked up at the president, not knowing he was the president of the new United States. And he said, may I get a ride on your horse? To which the president quickly said, yes, jump on. Gave him a ride across the stream. On the other side, the president asked him, said, did you know I was the president of the United States? Is that why you asked me? He said, no, I didn't know. He said, I asked you because you had a yes on your face. You and I go through this world much like we did through high school. We sit in the back, eyes down, head down, slouched. When the teacher asks, who wants to read? Who wants to solve the problem? That's all Peter. That's yoga, hot yoga, whatever, every Thursday, come join us. But we just want to like slide under the opportunities. When God is saying, aren't you my bride? Aren't you the one I want to see do great things? And what's amazing to me is whenever God does use you to do something great, you love telling everybody about it. You love doing these things. However, we're not recognizing all that God wants to do through you. You think this is the limit of what God wants to do through you? God wants to do so much through you. You say, but I'm not this wealthy and I don't have this much strength and I don't have this. Moses was 80 years old and a shepherd. And God said, I got 3 million Jews that you need to deliver. Come on, nobody's that far over the hill. Come on, God's saying, I can use you. You say, how old was Joshua when Joshua took down Jericho? We know he was also over 80 years old. Come on, I wish I had a church filled with 80-year-olds. Because oftentimes they got more faith, more hustle, more grind. They know how to get things done. Nothing is more expensive than a missed opportunity. But maybe this is what it is. Maybe some of you, your great door, that great opportunity, maybe you're intimidated by the opportunity, not the adversary. We call this imposter syndrome. If you were to go to 1 Kings chapter number 1, we don't have any time to turn there. Excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 10, you would see that Israel wanted to anoint a new king. They had anointed a new king. His name was Saul. And then they wanted to do a public coronation. And though in chapter 10, verse 21 and 22, they are about to show King Saul to the public. And they turn around and Saul is gone. They say, where? Where's our new king? He was head and shoulders above everybody else. Where did he go? 
They found him hiding, and I love what the King James says, hiding among the stuff. He just found some stuff and hid under it. There was no enemy, no adversary, but the opportunity scared him. Some of you are more afraid of you stepping up and saying, hey, I will serve in rich kids. Hey, I will be an usher. I will be a greeter. I will make coffee. I will cut donuts. I will help count the offering. Hey, I will go show up on Tuesdays and Thursdays and clean the building. Hey, I will show up and follow up with visits with people. I'll teach a life group class. Hey, I'll join the Spanish ministry. Hey, I will do this. I will join the student ministry. Hey, I will serve in live stream. Hey, I will do this. Some of you are more intimidated by the opportunity and you haven't even faced an adversary yet. God wants a church filled with people who don't run from opportunities nor run from adversaries. We need to be a church that says we take down giants for fun. But yet the church looks at an opportunity. We say, oh, $10 million building. I don't know. He needs $54,000. I don't even make $54,000. You're intimidated by that. You're intimidated by something and the door is an invitation to something new and next. And you're looking at the door saying, too big, too scary, too sad, bye. And God is saying, how are we going to build that? How are we going to do that? How are we going to reach the city? What would happen if 400 people showed up next Sunday? You'd be scared of them. You'd be like, where's my little church people? I like it comfortable and small. Because you got your seat. I've said this before. It's got a little indictation of your two little cheeks. It's set, just perfect. You just, ooh, yep, that's me right there. That fits great. And we just slide in there, and then you got to peel us out. But God doesn't want you intimidated by any opportunity, and God doesn't want you intimidated by any adversary. For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. That's not a timid mind. That's a courageous mind for what God has called us to do in this generation. This is our time to make a move for the kingdom of God. And we can't sit back and say, I don't see nothing, God. I don't know what you're doing. No, there's an open door. It's great and it's effective. Let's go through it. The Apostle Paul sounds like he's obligated to the opportunity if you ask me. That he had obligated himself to this opportunity. I wish you would obligate yourself to an opportunity. I wish you would just say, man, I'm just obligated to this. I wish you would just say, you know what? My spouse and I, we're having a rough season, but you know what? I'm obligated to keep my commitment to her, and I'm obligated to keep my commitment to him. I'm not going to play the field. I'm not going to look around. I made a covenant commitment, and I'm obligated to it, and I'm going to stick with it. I wish there were some people that say, I made an obligation to the opportunity, that job, and I'm not just going to walk away from it. I made an obligation to my commitments for the end of the year offering, and I'm not just going to walk away from it. I got an obligation. Obligation. The church treats obligations as options. And we wonder why we have no respect in our communities. Because they know it's optional. Each and every Wednesday, you can go deeper in life teaching with life groups. That's an option, and you treat it optional. Each and every week, you have the opportunity to serve and be a blessing to others, and you treat it as an option and stay saying, I'm obligated to this. I want to build something. I want to be a part of this. I'm not just going to sit back. I'm going to get in the game. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to build something. But we're almost out of time. I want you to write this down. Opportunity never travels alone. You see it at the very end there. The Apostle Paul says 
and almost nonchalantly says it. He builds up the door, doesn't he? For a great door, an effective door is open to me. And there are many adversaries. It's almost like he doesn't want to scare the church at Corinth. He just kind of throws it in. You see, the door is open, the door is occupied. And it's occupied with adversaries. If this were a modern translation, my fear is that if you and I wrote this verse, it would go something like this. It would go, Dear Church of Corinth, there was a great door. It was effective. It was wide open. But because of the many adversaries, I couldn't accomplish all that God wanted me to do. So I will be seeing you shortly. Because I feel like that's what we would do. Because we would use the adversaries as an excuse when all the while, it's not an excuse, it's an escape. God has called each and every one of you for so much more. And that is not hyperbole. That is not preacher talk. That is not anything where I'm just trying to hype you up to go out and to build our church. No, no, no. Our church is to build you so you are built to go out into the field and go become a farmer. That's what I'm trying to do each and every Sunday morning. It's that you all of a sudden realize that there's an opportunity that there in San Jose is over one million souls that are going to spend eternity somewhere. And you and I, through a little image, invite through a prayer can possibly forever change the course of destiny that you and I could be a part of something so much bigger if we would see God yes this space is occupied you're afraid of the opportunity because it's occupied by an adversary but what I love about what the apostle Paul is doing is the apostle Paul qualifies the opportunity by how big the opposition is. The Apostle Paul is basically trying to tell you that the reason he wants to stay in the opportunity is because of how big the opposition is. It's like the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to fight something big. I don't want to do something little. I want to make a big splash with my life. I want to do something great with my life. Matter of fact, he writes about how difficult it was in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. Province of Asia, this is Ephesus. He said, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that, it, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's saying, this is occupied territory because no opportunity comes alone. It's occupied, but I'm going to step into it. You and I are surprised by opposition because that's how we determine if it's a good opportunity. Low risk, big upside. That's a great opportunity. It's low risk, big upside. I do this with my wife all the time. I'm always looking for an opportunity. Man, if I can sell a bubble gum for a dollar, man, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's look for the opportunity. And I'll bring in these great harebrained schemes no, we're not doing that, Micaiah. Down boy, less caffeine. Give me the caffeine. You see, the Apostle Paul is reminding us that the adversary is there to int intimidate you from advancing. But understand this, 
Strength invites challenge. When you and I make a play for strength, it invites challenge. And that's why some of us don't want to ever step up. But we have to. So whenever there's an opportunity, expect opposition. You say, why? Because opposition validates that the opportunity is valuable. You say, what do you mean? Satan wouldn't guard it if it wasn't any good. Satan would not be guarding the opportunity if it didn't have value. Satan would not hold a vice grip on San Jose if he didn't think that there was something great that could be done here. He doesn't want his paws off of the Bay Area. And you and I are here to step into the opportunity to say, get your cotton picking hands off of this opportunity. We are here in the name of Jesus and in his power and his precious blood. We come and I fear the spirit of Pastor Ilya, Holy Ghost fire. And I all of a sudden I want to just say to the devil, we're here to occupy till he comes. We're taking over. We're gaining ground. We're here to see what God wants to do through each and every one of us. We're not just here to just sit back. We're here to hit back. There's too many people that need to know that Jesus died for them and that he loves them. And I need a church people to say, I can help reach somebody. I can be a part of making a difference. You and I have to see that this area, Satan wants it. He's got his hands in it. We're just going to let him have this next generation. Our cities are crumbling. Don't you see all the people walking around like zombies? It's third world around here. There's mountains of trash and people living in trash. Mine's totally gone. I'm not upset at them. My heart breaks for them. Some of them are young people that one time took a hit of something. Their life is forever ruined. And you and I, we had the answer. And God gave us an opportunity and we have to make a difference. You know, if you go to Stanford University, there's a statue. And the statue is called the Gates of Hell. I was torn about a year ago this time. And I didn't know what it was called, but I just walked over to it. And I said, that is a weird looking statue. It just, I mean, it was black. And then it had these people that were trying to get out but half their body was missing and other parts or hands dragging them and I didn't know what it was because I didn't read the sign yet. I just said that's an interesting it looked like two large doors is what it looked like. That's what it looked like. But it arrested my attention because you're walking through a, a beautiful garden and we just came out of the museum that you can go walk through for free and see all the modern art and see everything. And so we walked in this garden area and I look up and I said, those are peculiar doors. They were made by the artist Rodin in the 1850s and he made it. And when I got up close, I realized what it was. It is the demons of hell pulling people trying to escape back in through the doors. And I said, there is the perfect illustration of the Bay Area. The demons of hell trying to pull people back in. I want to leave you with a verse. Matthew eleven twelve. 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, 
The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. That's what's happening. This is not a peaceful war. The violent are taking it by force. And you and I have to see that the door is open, the door is an opportunity, but that door is occupied. And as the church, we have a decision. We have this decision. What are we going to do about it? I'm going to put a question on the screen. And I want you to do some thinking. What door is open that is inviting you to step through it? But because it's occupied, you're intimidated to step through it. What's that door in your life? Maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior, and it's the door of salvation. Revelation says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, I will open the door, and I will sup with him. God wants to come into your life. Have you received him as your Savior? Is that the door you need to step through? Or is it the door where you know there's somebody you need to talk to? There's something that God has put on your heart. Even as you've been hearing this message, you know you've got to do something. I'm going to invite you to not wait. Can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Behold, a great and effective door lies before me. God has opportunities for each and every one of us. What you and I do with those opportunities determines how much we believe and obey the master. So this morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, as God's been speaking to your heart about a door that you have to step through, you've been intimidated. Maybe you're intimidated by the adversary or maybe you're intimidated by the opportunity. Can I pray with you and for you that you would have the courage to step through that door? Is that you? Can you slip up a hand and I'll pray for you? Oh, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Oh, God bless you. Hands up all over. Oh, amen. Amen. I see those hands. Oh, God bless you. Oh, God bless you. I see those hands. Yes, yes. Let me pray for you. And then I want to talk to those who never received Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that have raised hands saying there's an opportunity that stands before them. I pray that they would not only have eyes to see it, but they would have the courage to pursue it. I pray that they would step through those doors, help them take advantage of the opportunity. I pray that the adversary would not get advantage of them, but they would have the courage to do what you called them to do. Now for those that... You don't know Christ as your Savior, but yet you know that if you were to sadly pass away this week, there's a question mark on where you would spend eternity. That question mark could be that you believe in total annihilation. You don't remember anything before you're born, and you won't remember anything after you die. Some people believe that. But then there's another side of it. Some know that maybe there is a heaven and maybe there is a hell. And you're not 100% about where you're going to spend eternity. 
and you say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. I don't want to go to a place without him. I want to know Jesus. I want to receive his forgiveness. Is that you? You slip up a hand. Can I pray for you? Oh, I see that hand. God bless you. I see that one. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. God bless you. Anybody else? Three people raise their hand to receive Christ as their Savior. I want to pray for them. Would you pray with me? I'll pray out loud. And these three that raised their hand, let's pray with them. We're going to pray out loud together for those who are coming to God for the first time and for those who are coming back to God after a long time. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross to pay my sin debt. I ask forgiveness for my sin. I repent of what I've done. And I turn towards you. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for salvation's gift. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, just slip up a hand. Can we celebrate with you? Amen. These three right here, receive Christ our Savior. Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. If you have not been baptized, Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. You say, how do I get signed up for that? You can fill out on your Connect card, hey, I want to get baptized, and then we'll be ready for you. We've got a shirt, shorts, we've got everything you need. But next week, Baptism Sunday. If you have been saved but never been baptized, it's time for you to take that next step. That's a big step, but it's the next step. And then after that, you keep coming and growing. The last thing I'm going to invite you to do is before I have you dismissed, there's a little card. I left it on the podium. But it's the Who's Your One card. I would love for each and every one of you, looks like we've got about 115 people here. Would all of us commit to taking one card and invite just one person to church? Whether they come or not, that's okay. But we need to get in the habit of inviting people to church. And then it may open up a conversation about spiritual things. And that's the greatest conversation we could have. It's been a great Sunday. I'm so glad you're here. I need you to do something for me. I need you to turn to your neighbor, give him a high five and say, it's great to see you. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. If this message inspired you and helped you, we would love for you to hit like, subscribe, or share it with someone today. Until next time, have a great day.